You're listening to Go with Jamarlin Martin. We have a go harder, go home approach as we talk to the leading tech leaders, politicians, and influencers. Let's go. We're here with Travis Holloway, the founder and CEO of Solo Funds. How you doing, man? Pleasure to be good, here. Good, good, good. Tell us a little bit about your uh, your background and your path to, to creating uh, Solo Funds. I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio, and uh, just a little bit about you know how I grew up. Uh, my parents were. They were very strategic with, with how they raised me. They, they wanted me to experience all different types of walks of life and, and diversity. So, you know, elementary school, I was the only black kid in the class. Uh, junior high, I was, you know, there was like two white kids in the class. High school, it was, it was 80% Latino. So when I grew up, I was exposed to a lot of different things. Um, and, and what was different between my life and, and a lot of the individuals that I became close with when I was little is that I had both parents at home and, and we lived a pretty comfortable life. Um, but there were frequently times where, you know, my friends and my peer group, I would go to their homes and their lights were cut off and they were going through real, you know, tough circumstances at home. And, you know, that, that kind of stayed with me as, as I continued to, to evolve through life. And, and when I went to college, the University of Cincinnati, I became passionate about, you know, making, you know, having an impact and making a change. After graduating from U- University of Cincinnati, I moved to New York City, worked in finance as a financial advisor and as director of training and development. Uh, at one of the, the largest financial planning firms. But while there, I really started to, to kind of get back to my youth and see that there's a, a major disconnect between the average, you know, middle American and, you know, and these, these very wealthy individuals who are in, you know, on the East Coast and, and that, that Gold Coast, what they would call uh, Fairfield County in Connecticut, Greenwich, Connecticut, that area. So at that point, uh, I said, you know, I, I think that there, there, there's a problem that I'm feeling. And that, that problem was that people kept asking me for money and I didn't really know why. And I, I realized that they were asking me for money because they didn't really have access to money. And, and originally I was like, you know, well, maybe it's just because I work in finance and I live in New York. But, you know, why are they asking me for $50 or $150 or $200? Like, what, what can that really do for them? And I didn't realize that that was the difference between putting gas in the car and making it to work and not getting fired. That was the difference between lights on, lights off. Uh, and that, as that took me back to my childhood of experiencing that with, you know, my friends. I thought that this was a problem that only plagued people that look like me because I'm black and, and the majority of my friends are minority. And when I looked at the numbers, I quickly realized that, you know, at that time, 76% of the country was paycheck to paycheck. And that number has since went up to 78%. So we're really trending in the wrong direction. And then the bigger stat to me was that 47% of the country doesn't have $400. So at that point, I realized that, you know, there is a major issue in this country and it's that, you know, individuals are being left out. They have no exposure to, uh, to capital, especially small, small dollar loans. And when I looked at how they're solving that problem today, it's by taking payday and title loans, which if many of you don't know, carry 400% interest rates. Uh, on average, they're reported to, to bureaus to help negatively impact your credit scores, but not reported to positively impact your score. You mentioned you went to schools that were uh, majority white and then Latino. Mm-hmm. That's correct? Yes. Uh, how many times were you called nigger? Man, I actually transferred uh, high school my, my junior year, after my junior year, and I actually went to a different school my senior year because I was called nigger. I could relate to that. I, I've probably been in uh, 25 fights. Uh, yeah. 
since uh, elementary school, where I went to predominantly white and Latino schools. And, yeah, uh, you get a sock as soon as you uh, say that. So, yeah. Uh, so yeah, no, 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 <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> that that was a word that you know it, it wasn't. I'm not going to pretend that it was common to me, and I think that's why I blew up the way that I did when I was in high school. Um, but I think I blew up the way that I did when I was in high school because it was a predominantly you know Latino school, um, and there was a very small percentage of white individuals at that school. And when I was called that word, and then the administration was does not look does not reflect the population of the school. Yeah. Didn't understand where I was coming from. I, I just had so much built up emotion that I couldn't even express it. So all I could do was just say, you know, I, I gotta go. Not that I run from my problems, but you know, it, it was just. I just couldn't believe that in a school that, you know, that had that type of demographic population, um, that the administration could be so oblivious to what that word really means. Talk about the demographic of the underbanked, specifically, um, you know, the, the, the demographic that you're targeting. Yeah. So the demographic that we're targeting is, is, is really the payday lending industries target demographic, which happens to be single women. Uh, and a lot of times that's single minority women. It's kind of a weird thing because you, you always talk about, you know, like single women raising kids. There's this misconception that there's more single women parents than there are men who, who aren't single parents as well. But it's typically because the, the female has the kids and it's very difficult to make ends meet. They're often working multiple jobs um, and they're oft, often working jobs where their hours fluctuate. One, wage stagnation is a real problem, but also wage fluctuation uh, is another major problem. If you're a bartender in Cleveland, Ohio, and, and there is a, a blizzard outside, you know, you can't expect to make uh, the same amount of money that you would make in the summertime. And it's, it's the NBA finals and the Cavs are playing. Uh, that, that's a major demographic. What's the age uh, sweet spot for you? So, so the age sweet spot is really between the age of 25 and 35. So it's, it's kind of a, a larger gap, but that's typically the age at which individuals are, are, have kids and are having kids who are starting school and dealing with, you know, major um, changes. And those major changes could be, you know, just simple things like buying, uh, buying school supplies, buying school clothes, you know, repairs for homes or cars, et cetera. Uh, college students as well. Um, so that demographic is a little bit younger, but college students, and I can, you know, recall this vividly of having friends who could not call home to mom and dad when their car broke down in college. I had the advantage of being able to do so, but, you know, that's a, that's a huge demographic for us as well. Books are expensive. Um, expenses during school are very expensive. Describe uh, what your business does in one sentence for our audience. Solo is a mobile lending exchange created to provide more affordable access to loans under $1,000. Uh, you're in Austin uh, at the South by Southwest uh, conference. What are you looking to accomplish uh, here? For me, South by is, is all about networking, who I, can, who I can meet, who I can rub shoulders with. And hopefully those relationships that are uh, obtained here can be nurtured um, and kind of curate it to, you know, longer, more enduring relationships. Uh, and when I say relationships, I'm really looking for, you know, relationships with investors, but also just my peer group. Um, because when you're able to meet people who are on the same road as you, can share stories, uh, you can share, share experiences, and then you can also point people in the right direction. Um, because I may know someone that someone else needs to meet or who they should, who they should be t talking to. And then the inverse uh, is the same for me. As you know, these events are uh, pricey. Can you talk about the ROI for your prior investments into uh, industry events uh, such as South by? Um, yeah, um, they are expensive, which which means you can't come here and just drink and party the entire time that you're here. You have to come with a real purpose and a real goal, and and essentially come with with you know, you know what you want to get out of this, and you can't stop until you get that. 
um, when you leave or when you get on that plane or that bus or that car, or however you're leaving, you know, an event like this, you need to you need to get on that 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 method of transportation thinking I accomplished everything that I actually set out to do. And the black founders <clears throat> that you know that attend these industry events, what percentage probably do that? Um, very small. Um, I, I would say very small. I, I think that's something that we could collectively do better. Um, I think, you know, I think a, a part of that is being solved now. There's more events that are kind of curated for us. Um, but for a large percentage of time, there were events that were not curated for us that we didn't feel comfortable um, attending. We weren't being spoken to when we were there. So at the end of the day, I think we would kind of click up and we would go do other things. But now that we have, you know, there's more people that look like us in, you know, in this world. And there's more individuals who are actually looking to give back and, and, um, and, and kind of throw that ladder back to help others. Uh, I think that's starting to change. Yeah, it sounds like John McWhorter would be... Uh happy uh, with your response in terms of at least the, the black founders mm-hmm. that you know maybe not going as hard as they should when they're at the events in terms of being disciplined and uh, serious. Uh, John McWhorter talked about in his book uh, when he was a, um, a professor at uh, Berkeley that a lot of the black students would uh, show up late and mm-hmm. not pay attention to class and make a lot of excuses for uh, academic performance, but he was very critical of the black students at Berkeley, but that just yeah. kind of uh, popped up uh, in my head. Who do you most admire uh, in tech and why? Man, this is a little cliche, and I, I'm, I'm not embarrassed to say it, but uh, it's one of my best friends and my co-founder, Rodney Williams, uh, who runs an amazing tech company called Listener. Uh, if you're not familiar with it, you should you definitely should be. But Rodney, I've seen, and, and I say that because, one, I feel like if you can't be inspired by your friends, you have the wrong group of friends. But two, uh, I believe that, you know, one, I've seen, it's full circle for me. Uh, Rodney was a brand manager at P&G. Um, and when he started listening, there were numerous times where he would come to New York City and he would crash my couch while he was pitching investors. And that came full circle for me last year as I found myself in the tech world and uh, in an accelerator program in Cincinnati, Ohio, where I was crashing his place for the duration of that program. So um, I've seen what he's been able to accomplish uh, in this world, which is, is amazing. Um, and I would say, yeah, he, he's the person that I look to, and, and he's, real, he's a real mentor to me that I can call on an everyday basis. So you mentioned uh, you have uh, experience as a financial advisor. Talk about that and, and how that possibly could give you an advantage uh, uh, in terms of uh, scaling uh, solo funds. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the way that I look at the market is, is very different because I know that there's this disconnect between the haves and the have-nots. Uh, what I found was that when I was when I was working in that world was that, you know, no one cared about the person who was making $75,000 a year. They just didn't. Um, when I was in that world, I was really focused on people who made or households that made 250000 of income with 500000 of household income being that sweet spot. Um, and people were just completely ignoring that person that makes, you know, $100,000. And I don't think that that was right. And I think that that needs to change. And those individuals were, they were essentially getting no guidance. Um, they did not, they did not know how to diversify, you know, their, their capital. They either had it just in cash or they had it just sitting in um, their checking account or savings account, which is virtually earning nothing. I just feel like coming from the demographic in which I come from, I know how to speak to my target demographic because I know that 
I know the things that they're going through and I know how to relate to them. You know, the average person who's in, you know, financial technology or, or fintech, what we would call it, uh, they don't know how to speak to the minority demographic. They don't know how to speak to people who don't make, you know, two or three or $400,000 a year. Uh, so it's, it's in their messaging. They just don't know how to capture that demographic. Uh, they don't know what they want. They don't know what they need. They just don't understand them. So I think that mixture of kind of seeing both sides uh, gives me a competitive advantage. You use the word minority. Mm -hmm. It's an efficient word to use, but do you feel the word minority undermines black people? That word uh, troubles me uh -huh. uh, uh, often in terms of using minority and just yeah. throwing it in the bucket. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, um, and I could I could totally see your perspective. Um, I think you know we've we've started to give a lot of other individuals the minority tag um, as well, and I think that they've been able to benefit off of that tag. Not only that, in the big scheme of things, uh, of course, uh, darker people are mm -hmm. the majority. We're not uh, as African uh, descendants uh, a minority in any shape or form. Right. I just feel like uh, uh, some power is given away. Uh, when we uh, use that word, but I've actually never thought of it in that way. Yeah. You know, I, I know a lot of, you know, stats and, you know, there's no major U.S. American city where it's not majority, um, majority minority, if you would say. And that doesn't yeah. only include, you know, African-Americans. That includes, you know, multiple other races that are just non-white. But I, I actually I do understand exactly where you're coming from. Yeah, and, and I, I, I like that, though. I, and I, and like I could that. actually uh, see where the demographic trends mm -hmm. in the United States, uh, they're, they're, they're rapidly changing. I mm -hmm. can see people using minority. It's so ingrained, yeah. but yeah. people are no longer the minority. Right. Uh, white people are the minority, it, exactly. but people are probably, right. you know, they're so, the, they're so the, 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 the problem is, is that we still feel like minorities because a lot of the places that we frequent are the places that we want to go. We are the minority still. Yeah. Um, Put, put, put yourself in Austin, Texas right now, and we are the minority um, at South by Southwest. Yeah, this relates to uh, what I believe the promiscuous use of the word diversity, where mm. it's now ambiguous, yeah. right? Yeah. Everybody's a minority. Right. All different type of people are minorities now. Uh, and then within the word diversity, now everybody's in it, right? right. Black people have a very unique uh, mm -hmm. experience in the United States, as you know, uh, where we're the descendants of slaves and right. our oppression, uh, uh, in my view, is, is materially different than mm -hmm. other groups. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. and, and so do you feel like there's a problem with that minority bucket, that diversity bucket, where black people yeah. uh, are going hard with these words, uh, and if everybody's in that same bucket, but they haven't gone through your experiences in right. the United States and there you go again. Mm -hmm. So as you know, with the, yeah. with the predatory lending, right. you get trapped again. That's how right. we got over here. Exactly. Uh, do you see a correlation between that word minority and the, the, the issue that I described with the word diversity? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think you, you just made a, a very valid point. And what I, what I would say is I think that it does dilute um, the experiences that our ancestors have had, um, not only in this country, but worldwide. And when, when we dilute uh, what, you know, what, what we've experienced, and I, I'm not even going to say just our ancestors, but what people of, of, of black and brown skin still experience today, when we dilute it, it's, it we're, we're giving all of that power back and and we're not we're not allowing ourselves to just say you know what this is what it is this is bs and we're not going to pretend 
that it isn't this way. It is this way. And we need to talk about it. And we need to be honest. We need to be transparent about what we've experienced and, and not go and just say, you know, well, it's okay because other people um, are being, the, the Muslims are being oppressed uh, as well. Um, or the Jews were oppressed, et cetera, or the Irish were oppressed. Um, you know, we, we've experienced some real things and there's been a systematic, um, you know, there's, there's, been, there's been a system that has been created to, you know, keep us in a certain place. Um, and I don't believe, me personally, I don't believe that that system has been constructed to keep all of those other, um, you know, individuals in oppression. We are seeing quite a few celebrities invest uh, in startups such as uh, Jay-Z, Nas, uh, Kevin Durant, uh, Steve Curry. Uh, do you think these black celebs uh, should have a mandate to invest in mostly black founders such as yourself? I don't, I don't, I don't know that it's fair um, to tell people where to spend their money, but I think that they should have an innate sense that they should be spending their money with people that look like them because for a very long time and still to this day, there is, you know, a European group of people who do not, um, who are not spending their money with people who look like those celebrities that you just named. Um, and in order to put ourselves on an even playing field and to give ourselves a chance, I think that we have to invest in each other. You know, when I look at those individuals, um, I, I am seeing a bit of a change and a shift. Right? And the shift that I'm seeing is that those individuals who are 40s, maybe pushing 50, are looking down and are being more helpful to the generation after them than the generation that came prior to them. Um, I know a lot of black individuals who have done very well in their 70s and, and, and 60s who just don't care to help other people that look like them up. I don't know why that is, um, but those are the same individuals who a Jay-Z will talk about and say that you know they never respected him, they never helped him. Uh, but you know I look at him and I see what he's doing in multiple you know arenas, and, and I would say that I think he is you know helping people that look like him, and I think he does have you know the platform to do so. If the data came out dollar for dollar and it said, hey, Jay-Z, Nas, Kevin Durant, Steve Curry, uh, and a lot more celebrities who are getting involved with tech, if the data came back dollar for dollar and said. 90% of those uh, uh, of, of that capital mm -hmm. actually went to white founders. Would, do you have a problem with that? Yeah, I would have a problem with that. Uh, I would 100% have a problem with that because, you know, th this isn't going to change unless people that look like us start to understand us. We speak a very different language than the average VC that lives in Silicon Valley or, or New York City or even Austin. And they don't understand our pain points the way that we do. So, you know, a lot of phenomenal ideas will be started by founders of African-American descent because we have different pain points than a lot of other people in this country. Um, not to say that payday loans don't affect all different races. They have been preying on African-American and minority communities in inner cities for a very long time, check cashing institutions, et cetera. But that's a pain point that we feel. So, you know, an idea like Solo, it derives from people that look like me not having other resources to go to. And I think that could be said for a, a bunch of other companies. I think Bevel, you know, creating a, a shaving system for people who have a certain type of skin, that's going to be created by someone who has that skin type and fills that pain point. That couldn't be created by someone who doesn't have our skin type or hair products, you know, created for people that don't have our hair tex texture. Um, so I think that's important. Who's your competition, uh, Solo Funds? We have no direct competitor, but we do have a lot of competitors. Payday lending institutions are, are one, and that's a, you know, that's a very powerful network. In terms of your network. approach, though, your peer-to-peer -peer approach, 
the technology target market is who would be your closest competitor? I think our closest competitor, you know, there's a couple of companies out there um, that are, I'm not going to say their names, I'm not giving them free publicity, but they're, you know, what, what they do is essentially they will pool money together. So if there's four people in a room and everyone has $100, there's $400 in this pot. And at some point, one of us could take a loan from this pot. We pay interest to the other four people who are in it, but all four of us can't go, can't go get a loan at the same time. Once that loan is paid back, now I can take another loan from that pot or someone else can take a loan from that pot. But that is about as close as you get from a peer-to-peer standpoint um, of what we do when we're just drastically different. But we have no direct competitor who does exactly what we do in this country. And as far as I know, don't sue me on this, but uh, globally as well. If you like what you're hearing, you could check us out at moguldom.com. That's M-O-G-U-L-D-O-M.com. That's moguldom.com. We have the latest information on tech, crypto, the business of Hollywood and economic empowerment. Uh, you can also check me out on Twitter at Jamarlin Martin. Let's get back to the podcast. I've seen quite a few blockchain companies uh, going into this space. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you feel like that's a, a threat uh, to your model or are you considering some type of uh, blockchain application? Um, I, I'm not. I think that we will integrate blockchain at a later point. Um, but am I worried about that eating into my target demographic right now? I would say no. Um, we're talking about people who don't know what a Roth IRA is. Um, they definitely don't know blockchain and they don't understand cryptocurrency. Um, these individuals literally need $50 so that their lights stay on. Um, and if we, could, if we could get that to them in a very quick way, in a way that they understand, uh, I think that is the most efficient and effective way to do it. Also, just with the, I'm not even going to go into the fluctuation of, you know, currency, but uh, I would say that, no, I'm not, I'm not scared of that right now. A lot of folks, you know, talk about, you know, 1% of VC dollars uh, going to uh, people mm-hmm. who look like you. And, and, you know, they talk about this big diversity problem in yeah. Silicon Valley. Yeah. I don't really hear anybody specifically calling out names. Individuals mm-hmm. are institutions, yeah. right? So uh, right. a diversity boogeyman who's yeah. creating this really bad culture. Right. It's not inclusive, mm-hmm. but there's no individuals there's no institutions nobody's like speaking out against specific individuals right right right. why do you think that is this network of people is very small and and people talk a lot and as soon as you say something you will be condemned and they will go and they will run and say well oh this person said this about this person you know let's stay away from them because you don't know what they're going to say about us so so you're saying that there's a blacklist system within this club Mm -hmm. uh and you know you start to speak out you start to speak truth, yeah. calling people out, your ass is going to get blacklisted. Yeah. And does this club that you're talking about in Silicon Valley, do they have Negro helpers uh, who they are within this club mm-hmm. and they're reporting on other people and possibly uh, uh, Ben Horowitz, he'll call you know some of his uh, black boys and, mm-hmm. and say, what do you think about this guy? Or is, you're saying I, that that's kind of I, probably how it yeah, goes down? Yeah, I, I, believe, I believe so. And, and since there are so few African-Americans in that space, if you are kind of on the outside looking in, even just with that relationship, um, that could put you in a tough place. Because oftentimes we need a way into those, you know, into those firms or into those meetings. And oftentimes, hopefully, it could happen by someone who looks like us. Do you know of this club in Silicon Valley? Mm-hmm. It's a very small club, powerful club. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't like you. They're going to call up the New York Times and put out a hit piece on you. 
uh, our, our Peter, in yeah. Peter Thiel's case, Gawker uh, reported about him losing uh, billions of dollars on uh, his hedge fund, Clarium Capital. And uh, at least I believe that that was the primary motivating factor for uh, shutting down Gawker. So you're yeah. talking about a very yeah. powerful right. group. Do you know of kind of some of their Negro helpers kind of like that's that's really part of the club? Like, hey, I'm looking for more checks and... You know, we got to keep some of these more progressive uh, black people kind of, you know, I'm going to warn you about them. Yeah, I I don't I don't know. I don't know how effective they are and what they do, but I have heard things um, both, you know, with my own ears and from other people um, who will say that, you know. If you're I'm, in I'm the not, black people in the club. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. yeah so they're representing the yeah, club. They're yeah. throwing up that flag. It, it, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And, so and it's like, and, hey, and, they're not they're not throwing up Crip or Pyro. Right. They're throwing up kind of yeah. a micro Illuminati flag. If you will. Silicon Valley flag. Like, this is who we represent. Um, yeah. I, I they're think banging for Silicon Valley. Yeah. I, I think it's, um, I, I think that, you know, there's a lot of individuals who are super helpful. Um, and I think that there's some people who only want to. Uh, roll with the winners, if you will. And until you have been proven to be a winner, you were on the outside looking in. So if these weak Negro helpers have been co-opted by this elite society in Silicon Valley and they're banging, how how are the people, the people who really represent black people, how should those people bang back against... uh, the establishment and their Negro helpers? I I don't know that I've thought through that. And and, and I actually want to make one other comment um, on that. I think that the Negro helpers, if 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 you will, are, are no different than that 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 African American uh, person that is you know is a partner at the firm and is not being willing is not willingly helping that that person who you know is on their first day and they're they're junior um, attorney. They're just not being helpful. They don't speak when they're at the you know when they're in the kitchen. They don't you know they don't offer them you know advice you know no, nothing. Um, I think we have a lot of that in every industry, not only this one. I think, you know, when I worked in, in finance and I, when I worked in the corporate world, the black people didn't talk to each other. And I, didn't, not, I never understood why, but it's because we see each other as competition. And we never want someone that looks like us to be doing better than us. And I think that that, that, that reigns true in this world as well, because, you know, you make one introduction to this person and they become a billionaire and you still make what you made before. Um, I think that that, you know, I think that can eat us some people. So I've been to the Facebook campus a, a couple of times. I noticed that uh, the black people that I, that I saw, I saw quite a few mm-hmm. African immigrants mm-hmm. uh, working at Facebook. Mm-hmm. Do you believe a lot of the diversity stats that are horrible, mm-hmm. at least from a black perspective, do you believe even those stats are very misleading where essentially a lot of the black people that your Google and Facebook are taking they are coming uh, from Africa Absolutely. or the Caribbean, Absolutely. Uh, and so if you want to talk about the African American, yeah. it's either it's 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 significantly lower Absolutely. or materially lower. Absolutely, I, I want to be really sensitive with what I say here um, on this because, to be honest, I just I don't know for a fact, but I feel like there, there's two things. I think when when individuals come from Africa or they come from the Caribbean and they come to the States for school, I think they have a different mindset and a different focus um, once they get here, which oftentimes drives them to be more successful. But at the same time, I feel like those individuals did not grow up in this in this system that has been created to keep you where you are, keep you from getting to college, keep you in, in a certain circumstance. Uh, so I think that, you know, African-Americans have a very difficult time you know, achieving the same rates of success as individuals who come from 
immigrant countries. How fair is this? Hey, because African Americans have been through, you know, slavery, discrimination, we carry a massive amount of baggage in terms of how we see things, right? Mm -hmm. a, a lot of us people will say are paranoid right. from that experience, been traumatized. And so when we look at the opportunities in America, we're looking at it within foggy goggles. Uh, so one extreme possibly produces a, another extreme, mm -hmm. whereas uh, that sister coming uh, over here from uh, Mozambique or Ghana or mm -hmm. Nigeria, right. she's not seeing all this stuff, right? right. And so she can kind of, she's, she's in a better position to actually go get it. Uh, do you believe that's, a, that's fair to I, say that? I, I do. Um, I, I do, and I, I think there's a different focus um, I think that, you know, I think they're coming with a different purpose. Uh, and I think that they just, they don't have to, uh, of course, there's a language barrier. There's, you know, cultural differences. There's, you know, the expense. There's, you know, there's a lot of different things that they're going to encounter. But those same individuals, even though they may come from, you know, Nigeria is not the safest place um, in the world. And I totally get that. But when you're, you're an African American growing up in South Central Los Angeles with lack of resources and your schools are terrible, um, the police is harassing you and your family, your mother can't pay the light bill. You know, there's this all of these different stresses compounded. Um, and then the post-traumatic stress dis uh, disorder of growing up in these very dangerous neighborhoods. I think that that, you know, that compound is enough to keep people, you know, where they are and not let them see the same levels of uh, success that, you know, someone uh, that a female maybe perhaps from, from Nigeria might uh, realize. You probably uh, read about this, but the Trump administration is rolling back uh, regulations in the uh, payday loan industry, mm -hmm. uh, where essentially the Obama administration put in place uh, right. protections where, hey, you have to do more due diligence that the person can actually pay back the loan. Right. Are you surprised any that he's just kind of tearing up stuff like that? No, um, not at all, because his friends are the ones who own the payday lending institutions and they have the dollars and, you know, and people vote with dollars. They don't vote with just, you know, ink on paper. Uh, they vote with their with their wallets. And with with that said, you know, they have the they have his ear. You don't have his ear when you're just screaming nonsense. Um, you have his ear when you say I have money. And, and I'm willing to either put this money behind you or I'm willing to take it away from you. What would you say that, uh, hey, Obama, uh, in his eight years in office, he didn't act, at least I'm not aware of him acting in any way uh, in terms of any type of regulatory reviews for your, 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 your big tech companies, your Google, your Facebook. Obviously, mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. uh, that uh, a lot of the Facebook folks helped Obama get elected and mm -hmm went to the Obama administration and then other Obama administration people went to Facebook where that Trump is just banging for his side, mm -hmm. whereas the liberals in Silicon Valley, uh, they were letting big tech and, and, and the, the elites out there run wild without mm -hmm. any kind of any regulatory thought. Just let that shit go yeah. because they're funding us, they're right. friends, they're yeah. liberals. Yeah. Do you believe that uh, Trump is just banging for his side where the Obama administration and a lot of the elites in Silicon Valley who are supporting him and that lobby, they were banging for their side, but both sides are doing damage to consumers and, yeah. and there's, there's nothing yeah. really different about it. Right, um, no, I, I think that's exactly, I think that's a, that's a very fair uh, assessment. I, I think, you know, Trump is, that's his game. He knows people in finance, he knows people who are rich, and 
Um, not to say that the founder of Facebook is not very extremely rich, um, but it's, it's, it's very different. Um, and Trump has no connection to the people who are being affected by the payday and title lending industry. Um, he knows the people who are profiting off of it, but he has no he, he, he does not know what a debt trap is um, or he doesn't know what that feels like. So I don't think that he has any incentive to, you know, to, to have any type of regulatory body keep these people from doing what they want to do. What are your thoughts on, uh, you mentioned Facebook, what are your thoughts on uh, Mark Zuckerberg? And there is no Mark Zuckerberg without Sheryl Sandberg. Uh, uh, what are your thoughts on uh, those folks in that company? I mean, I, I think he's, I mean, I'll be honest, I think he's one of the, the greatest minds um, of our time just because. Mark Zuckerberg? I, I do. I, I really do. Just because of how much, you know, how much he's been able to take a company that started with what it was and what it has evolved into. Now, he doesn't do that with a lot of help. And, and I'm not going to say that maybe he's not the greatest mind, of our, our, greatest mind of our time, one of the greatest minds of our time, but what he, what he has been able to do is pull from some of the greatest minds that, that say, are around. When you say pull from the greatest minds, mm -hmm. what minds, is, uh, uh, what, you know, what minds uh, come to mind? Um, I, I think you mentioned one. You, know, you mentioned Mark Zuckerberg is one of the greatest minds. You know, obviously, he's... Uh, a brilliant entrepreneur, that's obvious. But when you study the history, he cheated uh, a couple of people early on, including his co-founder. The co-founder has a record of it. Right. He pays the co-founder off. Connect You, the twins, the Harvard twins, you know, they hire him to, to, to be a consultant for their social networking site, uh, right. Connect You. Right. Mark Zuckerberg uh, steals their idea. Yeah. He's the consultant, but he steals their idea. And yeah. he's like, hey, I'm going to go start this on the side. So Mark Zuckerberg then uh, settles with them. Yeah. Facebook was fined uh, by the European Union for lying on uh, their acquisition on WhatsApp. Uh, they were fined hundreds of millions of dollars where the European Union uh, said that they were misleading. But, you know, throughout Mark Zuckerberg's history, I don't see a big difference other than he's liberal and Trump's, uh, mm -hmm. you know, I think Trump is centrist, but let's say, you know, he's, he's, to, he's to the right. What's the difference of Mark Zuckerberg and Trump in terms of Mark Zuckerberg running over people, uh, kind of not really, he seems he's very transactional yeah. where he's not concerned about society. He's not concerned about what the world could look like in 10 years. You know, he's just trying to get his money, right? He's running over the co-founders. He's running over the twins who hired him in terms of how Facebook has handled the Russian investigation or how they've handled media companies where, you know, I've had a personal experience with yeah. that company. Uh, and I'm like, wow, you yeah. guys are on another level. Yeah, yeah. Like you guys... You guys are out here on these streets, but you're more out here on the streets, definitely banging for the evil side. Yeah. Uh, so I just see Mark Zuckerberg is Trump successful. He's a billionaire. Yeah. He's, he's, he doesn't have the wallet, obviously, of Mark Zuckerberg, but he's a technology Trump. He's yeah. very transactional. It's not clear this guy has a lot of ethics. Yeah, um, from an ethical standpoint. So I, I think there's there's multiple ways to look at an individual. From an ethical standpoint, I think you made phenomenal points, and I think you I think you hit it right on. Um, there is a there is a track record of him being unethical, being dishonest, and essentially stealing from from others, stealing ideas from others. Um, but you just said you, you, but he's but, your greatest. No, 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 no. But 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 at the same time, you just his business. But execution. yeah, I'm I'm really only speaking on a business level. Um, and what I and what I'm saying is, I remember you know the the early days of Facebook when you had to have a college ID to get on it, and I see what they've been able to accomplish over the last you know, ten twelve years. Yeah. Um, and and that idea that was essentially stolen. Okay, let's say it's stolen. It was stolen. 
So let's take that idea. Do we think like that you. those same individuals, I mean, <laughs> like uh, black people, we were right. stolen, right? right. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> but, <laughs> that's a fact. Um, but do we think that? Do we think that those same individuals were capable of taking that company? To, from where it was to to being to becoming what it is today, and I don't know that answer. And if I had to answer that, I would say no because they haven't really come up with any other thing that's put them in that same realm or that same conversation. The difference between Trump, I mean, Trump goes out and literally with his rhetoric is speaking out against complete countries and, and nationalities. Um, and that particular piece rubs me incredibly the wrong way. But then also there is a track record of him being a failed businessman time after time after time. We don't have that same track history of Mark Zuckerberg being a failed businessman. So when we look at it from a, just a sheer business lens, um, I think that Trump has been able to fake it. Um, I think he got a, I don't think he got a lot more help from his father than what he's willing to admit. But at the same time, he has a failed airlines. He has a failed, you know, football team. He has, you know, he's filed bankruptcy multiple times. You know, there is a track history of him not being as savvy of a business person as, as the world wants to believe. But what he has been able to do is market himself in a way that is probably one of, he's probably one of the greatest self-marketing minds of all time. Um, I would put Floyd Mayweather in there too, but. Trump is just not as rich as people think he is. And I think that's part of the reason why we won't ever see his tax returns. Fair point. One thing I think is uh, underappreciated with Mark Zuckerberg, it goes to your point in terms of he's bringing great minds in and, and listening to yeah. him. Uh, particularly, you know, one thing that comes to mind is uh, Sean Parker. He talked about how all MySpace had to do was replicate Facebook on the side yeah. when MySpace was, mm -hmm, was mm -hmm. really hot mm -hmm. and had massive skill. And that really informed Zuckerberg's uh, M&A strategy where you've seen defensive moves where any platform that looks like it's going to, you know, could have a billion users, I'm going to buy that shit. Exactly. Right. So I believe the author of that mm -hmm. kind of paranoia uh, is uh, Sean Parker. Yeah. Uh, but I think Mark Zuckerberg gets an A mm -hmm. on his M&A. Yeah, uh, you know the the M and A strategy yeah. has been super uh, mm -hmm. on point. Yeah, Spike Lee is coming out with a show, and he's calling it the Black Zuckerberg. Do you have a problem with yeah, using Black Zuckerberg? Yeah, it's super corny. Do we want black boys to? be modeled after a Zuckerberg? He has a big wallet, but it doesn't right. seem like there's no soul behind it. We don't no, want our. We don't no. want to. We don't want to. We don't want black boys to. To, to have that transactional yeah. Zuckerberg, Trump, just I'm going to go after my wallet and just kill everybody yeah. in the way, right? Exactly. We don't really even know what that man stands for. So so to model our, our young black men to be him is just, that's just crazy. Like, I, I, like just the thought alone. Spike has been wilding lately, man. I, I really You know don't. he's here. Yeah, you, you I gotta, know. Gotta, I'm, yeah. I'm going to make sure I don't go see him. Um, That's kind of just crazy. That's just insane. But... Um, no, I don't. I don't think that the show should be the Black Jordan either. I don't think it should be the Black LeBron. I don't, I don't think I, it should I, be. Yeah, I don't think he's gonna title it that. But the way it's being described in the media, the way he's describing it is Black Zuckerberg. And the idea is that Zuckerberg's a genius, and this guy's, you know, a black genius. No, there, there's a million other people. I think that that could be modeled after. Um, I don't care if you go use one of the billionaires in Nigeria before yeah. you use him. Like I, that's just as crazy to me, especially from Spike disappointed recently 
CNN uh, journalist uh, Jake Tapper, he's been on a uh, media jihad mm-hmm. uh, going after uh, black leaders, uh, Keith Ellison, the Congressional Black Caucus, and saying, hey, why are you Negroes talking to Farrakhan? You know, as you know, there was a photographer, Askia Muhammad, who took a picture of Obama with Farrakhan mm-hmm. at, a, at an event and the brother uh, held the, the photograph back and said, I don't want them to use this against our brother Obama. And, you know, he could have got publicity, could have got right, money, right. but he held it. Uh, and then, of course, he he released it, I believe, uh, this year. You know, it makes Republicans think like, see, I told right, you right, Obama right, 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 has something going on right. that he's not really, you mm-hmm. know, telling us. Uh, but Jake Tapper, he's going to all the, you know, the black leaders, Congressional Black Caucus. Hey, you black leaders. Don't go talk to Farrakhan. Don't try to build a bridge with Farrakhan. You know, he has, uh, he's Mm -hmm. anti-Semitic. You know, he's homophobic. He's anti-Semitic. He's racist, essentially. Mm -hmm. So why are you black people talking about Trump, talking about the alt-right? Why don't you niggas, why are you guys taking pictures with Farrakhan? Why are you going to the event? Uh, One sister uh, who's involved with the Million Youth March uh, Tamika Mallory, you know, she went to Savior's Day in Chicago. Uh, he's attacking her like, hey, you black people are hypocritical. You guys, you know, talk about equality, this and that. But why are you guys going to Chicago to listen to Farrakhan? How do you feel about Jake Tapper going around pointing his finger? Hey, you niggas need to <clears throat> condemn Farrakhan. I don't like it. People just feel so entitled to speak about everything. And, and I think what, you know, obviously he, he has a platform on a major network. Um, But everyone now has a platform in their pocket um, and everyone feels compelled to talk about something and then say what they think other people should be doing, who they should associate with. And it's always with their their view of what they believe. But until he is going out and he's saying the same things about Trump or and and, and his and and the statements that he's making about, you know, entire countries and and other nationalities um, until he's condemning the people who have relationships with people like Richard Spencer uh, on the flip side. I don't think that, you know, his comments are valid. I don't think they hold any weight. But even looking at a guy like Richard Spencer, is it the same uh, in terms of black people, in terms of our history of being oppressed and where police are still murdering folks? Jake Tapper, if you uh, remove what you call extremist voices, Mm -hmm. who else is going to talk up and talk independently against the establishment and the lobbies that pretty much have a lot of the politicians and, and corporate folks, a lot of our leaders in their pocket. So my question for Jake Tapper is if you remove a lot of these extremist voices, right. who's going to ride hard for the people, the people in Watts, the people in Compton, the people it, in uh, Brooklyn and Harlem, CNN, Jake Tapper's not doing it, no. right? You know, uh, Trayvon Martin or somebody else gets shot. We're, you guys are not going to be in these streets, right? Exactly. So essentially because of economic insecurity, we don't really have uh, people who can go hard. Everybody's scared to lose checks, right? Absolutely. Yeah, so uh, Jake Tapper, who, who else is going to be speaking out for our people uh, in these streets? Uh, because all the other corporate folks and politicians, they're all paid for, right? Exactly. So, you know, I don't believe you can compare, you know, a Richard Spencer or white racism where it's more institutional. I don't care. Yeah. Like a lot of times, you know, people will say things, but what's really important is what you do. The institution institutionalization yeah. Yeah. of racism. Right. Uh, not necessarily just the, the, the words and the optics, but you know, one question I have is, 
hey, Jake, Te- Jake Tapper, are you going to denounce everybody who went to the Trump inauguration? Exactly. He, he's on. He's racist. Right? Exactly. Exactly. So, and and, that, and that's my point. I, I don't think Richard Spencer and, and, and Farrakhan are, are one and the same. I don't think Farrakhan is the African American version of of, uh, of Richard Spencer. Um, but at the same time, I just don't think that you, you can't make a comment about one side if you're not making it about both sides. Um, we know that you're not going to stand up. Uh, against you know against police brutality against you know you know the the systematic racism the disparity of of African Americans who are incarcerated you're not going to talk about it and you know who is because uh, to your point everyone is is bought um, everyone is afraid to lose you know their platform their their check jeopardize their family situation so you know until you have someone who essentially can't be bought in, in, a, in a Farrakhan you're in a, you're in a tough situation why do you think it would be okay uh, with Jake Tapper for Tamika Mallory and some of our people to go to a Trump inauguration a racist who's institutionalizing racism mm-hmm. You can go support a Trump inauguration. Obama was there. Michelle was there. A lot of black people were there. Why would the establishment believe black people should love a Trump inauguration or or embrace it? There's no no real concern if a black person takes a picture with Trump, right? As far as we're concerned, you know, he may as well be on a a KKK with a lot of power and a big wallet. Exactly. Right. But why is it okay for people to take pictures with Trump? Because they call it patriotism. They, they think, all right, well, he's, he's an American president and he's the leader of the free world. So if you take a picture with him, you're, you're showing that you love your country. You're showing that you're supportive of this establishment. Whereas, you know, the inverse, it's, they're painting him as being anti, like anti-patriot um, or anti-patriotism. So, you know, with, with that said, I think that's, that's how they sell it. That's how they get you to believe it. Um, that's how they get you, you know, that's how they get the, the mass media to buy into that and say, you know, this person is being anti-American because, you know, they're saying these things. But if Trump says, you know, the, the, the problem is, is that his statements are, even though we, we view them as being racist, in the, the grand scheme of things, the mass, you know, a lot of the, the population sees that as being, you know, pro-American, or they think that's how things are supposed to be. That's the difference. Do you believe it's uh, racist when the elites in this country, such as Jake Tapper, uh, who come from privilege, you know, when you look historically at Marcus Garvey, right, he was mm-hmm. brought down by Negroes, right. right? He wasn't, the government, yeah, they, they they brought him down, but Negroes essentially helped the government and set him up. Right. Uh, but going back from Marcus Garvey uh, to Malcolm X, the Black Panthers, the media has always gone to black leaders and they say, hey, you need to condemn this other black leader that's going real hard against the establishment. They're going real hard against right. racism. Right. They're going real hard against us. Right. You know, this is nothing new what Jake Tapper is doing. Uh, but do you think it's racist for, for, for these uh, white elites to be coming to the hood, coming to black people? You need to condemn this person. Yeah, I, I think it is. I, I think it's just a double standard. And I think the double standard in this particular case is racist. If black people said, Jake Tapper, you're, you're a Jewish uh, American, mm-hmm. you need to condemn the apartheid uh, state of Israel. You need to condemn uh, Netanyahu because he, he did this or... You know, he's doing this. He's about to kill, you know, 100 Palestinians. Right. What? You're Jewish, so you need to condemn Netanyahu. Do you right. believe that's fair to Jake Tapper? To look at that within the right. context of his race and say, because you're Jewish, you need to condemn Netanyahu. Yeah, no, I, I don't. I, and I think that's, 
that's where I see this as being, you know, the same across the board. I don't think that he's built to bear that cross. So why should I put that cross on him if he's not ready for it? And it's the same thing for him to do that to other, you know, African-Americans who, you know, maybe they, one, you don't know their view. Two, um, you can't bear, you, you can't, your, your, your opinion is, is now a cross in which you're asking them to bear. And I don't think that's fair for anyone. Thanks to Travis Holloway, the founder and CEO of Solo Funds. You can check out Solo Funds, S-O-L-O-F-U-N-D-S.com, solofunds.com. Thanks so much. It was a pleasure. Thanks, everybody, for listening to Go. You can check me out at Jamarla Martin on Twitter and also come check us out at moguldom.com. That's M-O-G-U-L-D-O-M.com. Be sure to subscribe to our daily newsletter. You can get the latest information on crypto, tech, economic empowerment, and politics. Let's go.